The Ostomy Nurse Project. A very warm hello and welcome back to the Ostomy Nurse Project, the podcast that talks all about living with your insides on the outside. This is your host Felicity with the very final episode of the Ostomy Nurse Project for 2019 and it is the Christmas special. And I thought, what a great way to end the year with a little bit of a festive tribute to everybody living out there at the moment with a stoma and trying to get through the festive season. So this episode just covers a few little different bits and pieces talking about living with a stoma at Christmas time. So if you're listening to this, you might be a person who currently lives with a stoma. You might have had a newly formed stoma done. So you might be in those early phases of getting through the, the holiday season, learning to deal with your new friend. You might be a friend, carer, or loved one of somebody who's living with a stoma currently, or you might be one of the tireless healthcare professionals that is working overtime during this happy season to bring care and support to those in need at this time. All right, so in this episode, we're going to cover off a few really simple things. We're going to start with, obviously, people who are new to the stoma world. If you have just had your stoma formed quite close to Christmas, We're going to talk about a few tips and tricks for how to get through the holiday season, learning to navigate through those first couple of weeks. We're also going to cover a little bit about people who currently live with a stoma and looking at a few things like dietary information, because there's obviously a lot of festivities going on around the Christmas period. And a lot of you may have questions or concerns about what you can or can't eat or what you should or shouldn't avoid at this time, particularly when it comes to Christmas food and Christmas drink. So we're going to cover off a little bit of that. And then we're also going to talk about travel because during the holiday season, travel is a big thing. We all want to be around our friends and our loved ones at this time of year, which is all very important. But depending on what country you're listening to, there might be certain weather conditions or you might have certain travel arrangements that you may or may not have considered what you need to do if you are a person who lives with a stoma or if you are traveling with somebody that has a stoma. So we're going to cover off all of that too. And then finally, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if any of you listened to my favorite recipes episode, I'm going to include a couple of Christmas recipes for those of you who might be concerned about what you can eat at Christmas time, or if those of you who are following a pretty strict diet want some nice, easy to eat Christmas meals, I'm going to cover off a few of those last thing in this episode. So that is all coming up in this final part to the Ostomino's Project of 2019. Enjoy! Let's start off first of all for people who are new to stomas or if you're a person who's had a newly formed stoma relatively close to Christmas. Now one of the difficulties that people can come across or that people would contemplate sometimes during the holiday season is the availability of staff, especially when it comes to stomas or your access to healthcare professionals during this time so that you get the appropriate care and education that you need. Now I can tell you as a stoma nurse, I'm working right through the holidays, I do get limited holidays, but there is usually a stoma nurse available to educate you on the ins and outs of learning to deal with a stoma. So don't feel as though, and I speak, I'm speaking very generalistically here, in general, the healthcare system does not shut down during the holiday period. Yes, there may be reductions to staff, but I think you'll find in most places, if you are new to a stoma, there will be a stoma nurse of some description who will be available to teach you and educate you on how to manage your stoma. And the education and management of stomas is the same all year round. It doesn't change just because it's the holiday season. You still need to learn, obviously, how to change your appliances or selecting a suitable appliance and any accessories that will fit your body to give you a securely fitting bag that doesn't leak and that gives you the confidence to get back into your normal life. 
And then, of course, there will be aspects of your dietary requirements and things like that, which a stoma nurse or a dietitian within the hospital, depending on where you're at, would be able to give you this information. And we're going to talk about diet and, and foods at Christmas time a little bit later in the episode. But I wanted to stress that the overall rule uh, initially with a new stoma, if any of you have listened to the All About Stomas episodes or dietary episodes, anything like that where we've covered things like a low residue diet or a low fiber diet. Um, the, the general principle is when a stoma is new, we tend to put you on a very easy to digest diet, which involves nothing crunchy, nothing sharp. Um, or if it is crunchy and sharp, then temporarily just avoiding it, depending of course on what type of stoma you have and what type of surgery you've had also. The dietary restrictions do vary uh, in the long term, depending on what type of stoma you have. For instance, if you go on to have a urostomy or a urinary stoma, the food requirements, once all of your healing has taken place, are not necessarily as strict as perhaps a person who's had an ileostomy done or a small bowel stoma. But the general principles immediately after stoma formation are that we try and get you to avoid anything sharp, hard or crunchy. So things like nuts, seeds, popcorn, anything that's going to be quite difficult to digest. So there should still be someone around at Christmas time to educate you on what you can and can't eat. They will also be teaching you how to change your appliances, become independent and set you up and procure your supplies for you so that you have enough to go home with. Now here in Australia, as I've mentioned in many episodes before, we have an ostomy association. So a paid member submits their order for their supplies through the volunteer run association. The association distributes the pouches and accessories that that person requires, and then Medicare subsidizes the cost of those products. It is different all across the world, and some people do have to pay for their supplies outright. But the important thing is that a stoma nurse still needs to be available because many of these associations in Australia do shut down over the Christmas period. And so getting a supply of bags can be quite tricky during this time. So it's important to have that connection or that nurse that can procure you a supply of bags, even if it's just a temporary supply to get you through the Christmas closure periods when they can then do a proper order for you when the associations open back up. Or if you're a person who's listening from somewhere else where you do have to procure your bags, some of those places may also shut. So distributors of ostomy supplies or the companies that produce those bags, wherever you happen to be, may also close over Christmas time. So the requirements for a stoma nurse are still very much there during the Christmas period. Stomas still happen. Sometimes in an emergency case, there are lots of emergency stomas that do get formed and we can't choose when those stomas happen. If a person is sick and needs a stoma, well then so be it. So there still needs to be that staff member that knows how to get some supplies to you, how to educate you and how to provide that specialist care for you until such time as you are well enough and medically stable enough and confident enough to go home and manage. Now, the other thing is that when you are living with a new stoma around Christmas time, you're going to obviously have, you know, some instances where you're going to have a lot of people wanting to come and visit you, or perhaps the opposite. There may be some families where there might be travel involved. And so the people that you would typically spend time with at Christmas may not be available to come and give you the support that you need. We see both ends of the scale at this time of year, you know, for particularly for people who are stuck in hospital, who are quite unwell, or who typically would travel normally for Christmas, those plans may have to be put on hold. So from an emotional perspective, it's important to obviously reach out to those connections that you have 
and to those people who make you feel well and safe whilst you're in hospital learning to deal with a new stoma. So even though those people that you might normally see at Christmas time may not be physically available, it's always important to keep those connections close by, either via telephone or video call or, say, for instance, Skype, or even just well-wishing messages or emails or cards, because developing those emotional connections to people is what helps you get through this journey when you're learning to deal with a new stoma. If any of you have listened to um, the previous episode, which talks about psychological first aid, trying to deal with a new stoma is a very difficult path to navigate for some people. It's very hard to explain to you exactly what you're going to think and feel when you have a new stoma. So it's important that you have got those family members or those loved ones or those people that are close to you nearby or at least connected at some point so that you can go through that journey with them and that you can receive the psychological and emotional support that you need. And the healthcare professionals and nurses that look after you should also help to facilitate that. If you happen to be a person who is stuck in hospital and perhaps your plans have changed and you aren't able to see those people at Christmas time for whatever reason, talk to your nurse or talk to your stoma nurse because there are means and ways of getting people connected and and putting people back in touch with those people that are really important to you at this point in time. Just because you're stuck in hospital and and your plans might be different, it's still very important to keep that, that emotional support close. Now, the only other thing that I want to talk about when it comes to a new stoma around Christmas time is things like um, gifts, receiving gifts from people. A lot of people won't obviously know what dietary restrictions you are under when you do have a stoma. And so quite often uh, it's very common for people to send gifts of love. So perhaps chocolates or biscuits, or if you're incredibly lucky, some homemade meals uh, from people sending their well wishes which is all well and good and fabulous, except that if they send in something that you perhaps might not be up to eating or might not be able to eat in the event of having a stoma formed, that's obviously going to create a bit of a problem because as much as these people want to wish you well, you're not going to be able to eat the gifts that they give you, which we want you to be able to eat the gifts that they give you. So sometimes in terms of um, gift giving, perhaps something that's not food related is advisable for somebody with a stoma. If you are not sure what they can eat, try and avoid uh, giving them food as gifts. You know, some sort of toiletries or something nice that they can enjoy that doesn't require eating. It's just as sufficient But to be honest, most people would be very, very grateful of receiving any gift at all at this time of year. It is the the season of giving. So I encourage you all, if you want to give gifts, you give gifts. If you do want to give a food-related gift, if you are a person, a family, friend, or loved one of someone who has a newly formed stoma at this time, obviously avoid the things that I just mentioned before. So nothing crunchy, seedy, or grainy. So any sort of gifts uh, that are edible that have nuts in it, try and avoid giving those. So none of your fruit and nut chocolate or none of your foods or gifts or biscuits perhaps that have lots of uh, nuts or dried fruits in them, which is very common at this time of year. Perhaps just avoid those because it's entirely possible that the person who's just learned to live with a new stoma may not be up to eating those things at this time. Chocolates are okay as long as there's nothing crunchy or seedy in them. And obviously don't go crazy with the chocolates because too much chocolate can obviously upset the tummy a little bit. But in general, chocolates are pretty much okay. 
Just keep in mind the general rule that if it's soft and easy to digest, it's probably okay to give that person with a new stoma. If there's anything hard, seedy or crunchy or nutty in it, perhaps avoid it and give it to them at a later date if they accept that that's okay. Now, somewhere along the same line is also the concept of giving clothing as gifts. And we've spoken in length over the last year about the emotional aspects of getting used to a new stoma, what clothes would fit me, what clothes won't, what will I be able to wear, do I have to wear Bridget Jones undies for the rest of my life. So if you are a person who is contemplating giving the gift of clothing to a person that has a new stoma, perhaps avoid certain clothes especially if you're not sure of what their sizing is, because quite often after surgery, a person's abdomen might be quite distended or bloated. They might not quite feel like themselves and they might be carrying quite a lot of fluid on board. So giving the gift of clothing items to make a person feel better whilst is admirable may not be the correct choice at this time of year. So if you want to give the gift of clothing, by all means, blankets, shawls, maybe some nice fluffy slippers while the person's recovering. All of these things are great, but do try and be mindful that if you are contemplating buying clothing as gifts for a person with a stoma, please do so in consultation with the patient because they may not feel quite like themselves initially around this time of year. Okay, so that pretty much sums it up for the patient with the new stoma at Christmas time. I don't want to spend too much time on talking about that specifically because, as I said, the general principles of stoma management for anybody who goes through a new stoma is going to be the same regardless of the time of year. So let's perhaps move on to people who are currently living with an existing stoma or people who have gotten used to their stomas and are living quite comfortably with theirs. They may have had their stoma for some time and they may feel like now they're ready to start getting back into some sort of normalcy and planning for holidays and the Christmas period. And obviously there's two main things that jump out at us when we're contemplating Christmas time with a stoma. One of those is obviously food and the other is travel. When we talk about traveling, a lot of people will travel to places at Christmas time. Now, for some of you, that might be just traveling in the car to go and see family for the day. For some of us, that also means traveling internationally. So getting on perhaps some long or short haul flights. And so we have to talk about these things because preparation is key when it comes to traveling with a stoma. Now, one of the things that you may not contemplate when traveling at this time of year is the climate that you're traveling to. I can tell you right now that here in Australia, we've just had about two weeks of some of the worst weather conditions possible. We've got a lot of bushfires happening at the moment with average temperatures breaking records across Australia, reaching into the mid to high 40s. So that's uh, Celsius. So very, very hot conditions, very, very dry conditions. So for some people, if you're traveling to uh, an area that has very, very hot conditions and you happen to be from an area that actually has quite cold conditions, you need to be aware of the weather changes and what that can do for your stoma in terms of your products and appliances. Because the hotter temperatures that you go and visit, the more likely you are that you will sweat underneath your ostomy appliance and that can predispose you to some skin conditions like some irritation or perhaps sweating so much that the bags don't stick as long as perhaps they do in your home country. So bear that in mind if you are traveling to a climate that is different from that with which you live make sure that you take a few extra supplies with you in case you have to change the frequency of your appliance changes. 
Now, the same applies from going from a hot climate to a cold climate. For those of you who are traveling to an exceedingly cold climate, you may find that it's very hard to keep your ostomy products warm enough to get a proper adhesion or stick. So you might find if you're traveling to a cold climate, you might need to spend a bit more time warming up your appliances before you apply them, or you may need to make provisions to find a nice warm spot to change your ostomy pouch because that can obviously affect the length of time it takes for that hydrocolloid in your bags to warm up and stick properly to the skin. So make sure that if you are traveling to somewhere with a different climate that you keep that in mind and that you prepare adequate amounts of products and manage that in a way that's suitable for that climate. Let's look at an individual that has a stoma who's perhaps just traveling locally or going on a road trip to visit their loved ones during the holiday season. Obviously, in terms of supplies, you want to pack yourself enough supplies to last for the length of your holiday. That's a given, and we'll talk about that in a minute as well for those of you traveling overseas. But in terms of just traveling locally, some people may be traveling in a car or going on road trips, and road trips can obviously take quite a long time. And if you're a person who lives with a bladder or a bowel stoma, you're going to need to empty that pouch at some point during your trip, depending on the longevity of said trip. Here in Australia, most people can get away with driving and finding a public restroom somewhere along their journey, depending on whether it's metropolitan or out in the country. But one of the really great online available apps that I've spoken about before in previous podcasts is the fact that there is a national public toilet map available. You can find it at toiletmap.gov.au and you can either look at it online or you can download it to your phone as a mobile phone app. And this app is brilliant because you can simply type in your location or you can use it to detect your location and it will actually show you where your nearest restroom is depending on where you happen to be traveling at the time. Now this app can be brilliant especially for people who might be going on very long trips because you might be able to plan particular stops in certain towns or certain areas where you know that you'll be able to go and empty your pouch. And this means that you'll avoid having to stop frequently beside the road or perhaps ducking behind a tree to empty your appliance at an inopportune time. So definitely consider looking at this uh, app if you are a person who's going to be traveling at the Christmas time. Um, Otherwise, If you do feel as though you've got a handle on finding a restroom wherever you happen to be traveling, do make sure that you've got a spare change of supplies and a spare change of clothes. I'm not insinuating that everybody's appliances are going to leak, but it is terrible to get caught out in the middle of nowhere when you're trying to travel somewhere nice to see your family for Christmas and you happen to have an accident somewhere. As much as we try and avoid accidents, they do sometimes happen and that's why we call them accidents, obviously. So make sure if you are traveling somewhere that you just carry a spare change of clothes and a spare bag and spare accessories with you, um, either in the glove box of your car or in your boot or in the bottom of your handbag, so that if you do, for whatever reason, have to change your appliance, be it out the back in the middle of nowhere somewhere or even at a local shopping center, at least you've got the supplies there to go and do that and freshen up before you continue on your travels. Let's talk flying, Uh, long distance or short distance flights. A lot of people fly at Christmas time to go and see family members. And I often get asked a lot of questions about flying from people who are new to stomas. Now, one of the important things to cover and to stipulate for anybody who's traveling either on a long or a short haul flight is that you will still have the opportunity to empty your bag 
if you happen to be on the middle of an airplane. Airplanes still have restroom facilities, but it is very, very difficult and very confined spaces. So you can still empty your appliances into the restrooms. That's not going to be an issue. But if that is a concern for you, certainly empty your pouch before you board the plane. So all airports have restroom facilities very close by in proximity. So it's very easy to find a restroom where you can empty your pouch before you board your plane. Depending on the length of your flight, you should have plenty of opportunity to use the restroom on board the plane. But if you're concerned at all about emptying your pouch or managing your pouch on the plane, then certainly uh, make sure that everything is empty and that you also carry an emergency supply in your carry-on luggage. There is nothing worse, and I cannot stipulate this enough, there is nothing worse than having your luggage go missing when all of your ostomy supplies are in that suitcase because it's not like you can step into a supermarket and go and pick yourself up another couple of ostomy pouches. So always, above everything else, if you are a person who lives with a stoma, pack an extra spare couple of bags in your carry-on luggage because, of course, if you do for whatever reason, have to change your pouch or your appliance mid-flight. You can do so in the restrooms. It's just going to be a tight squeeze, but you're much better off having those supplies with you in your carry-on luggage should you need them. Okay, now to clear up one more little myth and misdemeanor that I do get asked a lot. Sometimes I get asked by a lot of people, is the cabin pressure going to do anything to my stoma or my bag? Is it going to make it blow up? Um, The short answer is no, it's not going to blow up. Um, But the general principles of stoma management are, of course, if you are eating something that's very gassy, you might have some gas in your pouch, in your ostomy pouch, um, which you may need to either do what we call burping the bag, which is uh, opening it up and emptying it or, or releasing some of the gas or taking some medications to either reduce the amount of gas coming out. Uh, or making sure that you just avoid those foods that are going to cause that increase in gas in the first place. But no, nothing to do with the cabin pressure is going to affect your ostomy appliance from sticking or providing a good seal. So rest assured, you can certainly fly and you can certainly travel with a stoma bag at very high altitudes. I'm sure they've been tried and tested. Now, the only other thing that I want to cover in terms of traveling uh, for people with a stoma is that depending on the length of time that you are traveling for, you may need to procure yourself an additional supply of pouches because obviously you can't go and purchase your typical pouches in a different country of origin. You may need to make sure that you have uh, your own supplies with you. If you're going traveling for weeks at a time or perhaps visiting people for weeks at a time, you need to make sure that you account for enough stoma appliances to get you through that traveling period or that holiday period. Most of the ostomy associations here in Australia will allow or approve a two-month supply. If you know what products you use and the the products that you use regularly, you can request a two-month supply. Some associations will even allow up to a six-month supply. You would need to check with your ostomy association to see whether they will approve a six-month supply. And I believe that some associations do require written authorization for you to obtain that increase in supplies. Just remember, though, if you do get yourself an increased supply or a two-month supply, you will not get increased supplies if you go through them all within that two-month time frame. You would need to speak to a stoma therapy nurse who would need to approve an additional supply certificate to get you more pouches than that if you were to go through all of those stoma care products. 
But in general, most people don't travel for that long that they need that many supplies. It's usually just a a period of weeks that people might be away from. So as I said, if you need to, you can obtain a two-month supply from your Ostomy Association or wherever you happen to get your supplies from, whichever country you're listening from. Hello, everybody in all the other countries. I'm going to thank you guys at the end of this podcast. But in general, making sure that you've got the supplies and products that you need is one of the first things that you should contemplate when you're traveling at the holiday season. In order to do that, a lot of people find that a lot of the boxes that the products come in are quite bulky and that can take up quite a lot of space in your luggage as well. So one of the really important things that I have come to learn are very beneficial. Have you ever heard of those vacuum bags or vac seal bags? It's like a great big laundry bag, big plastic Ziploc bag that you can attach a vacuum to and suck the air out of. One of those can be brilliant. You can unpack all of your stoma supplies, your accessories and your bags and put them into one of those vacuum seal bags. And you can actually reduce the size of those products exponentially more than if you were to put individual boxes of product in your suitcase. So that's a really handy tip for a lot of my people or my patients um, or people listening who are curious about how to get enough supplies around with you during the holiday season. Take them out of their boxes. If you can fit them into a Ziploc bag and squeeze all the air out of them, or if you've got a handy tip or trick as to how to pack ostomy supplies in a suitcase to reduce the amount of size that it takes up, by all means do so. Just count your products, make sure that you've got plenty of them available, and utilize those bags because I guarantee you they will reduce the amount of space that they take up in your suitcase. Now, one more thing that I do want to add before I move on to the food aspect of Christmas time is the fact that if you are traveling via airports or going to a country where your uh, primary language is not the language that they speak, you can obtain a travel certificate. For those of you who aren't aware, a stoma nurse has access to give you a letter or a little card that has a statement written in several different languages. I think it's up to like eight different languages that explains to any airport security or customs staff that you are a person who has a medically or surgically created stoma that requires you to wear an ostomy appliance. Therefore, if it's necessary for them to inspect you in any way when you're going through customs or if you happen to be uh, required to have a pat-down test, you know, when you're going through all the security checks, the, the certificate or the little card simply requests that if need be, if they need to expose you at any point, please do so in a private room. They have private interview rooms. They can certainly take you to that. Most people, I can say in my experience, don't really mind. And the majority of people who have a stoma that travel through customs have never been questioned about their ostomy appliance. However, for those of you who might be a little bit nervous at traveling for the first time, or if you are traveling to a country where English is not the primary language or not the primary language that you speak, it's certainly advisable before you travel to get in touch with your stoma nurse who can give you a travel certificate. It usually contains the details of your name, the hospital in which you've had your operation done, the type of stoma that you have, your surgeon's name and details perhaps, or the name of your current doctor in the country in which you reside. It can just be a handy piece of information to carry with you for if anything was to happen to you overseas to do with your stoma, um, you could certainly present that certificate and it would make communication much, much easier for you. So if that's an interest to you, get in touch with your stoma nurse and ask about a travel certificate. 
Huh, okay, we're getting through it. This is actually going to turn into a rather long episode. I was tempted to split it into two episodes, but I didn't get around to it. So in order to get this episode out before Christmas, I'm cramming all the Christmas information into one episode. So I hope you will enjoy and I hope you will get it before Christmas. But now let's talk about food. This is my favorite part of the episode, I think, because I love to talk about food. Christmas food. Christmas time to me is about eating a lot and drinking a lot. Not necessarily alcoholic drinks, but certainly enjoying in the festivities and uh, having beautiful food prepared that families and groups can enjoy and share together. And sometimes some of the patients who live with a stoma might feel like they miss out a little bit on enjoying some of those Christmas foods because for some people, the diet that they follow may not necessarily match with the type of Christmas food that is brought out uh, during this season. And that's things like your fruit cakes, um, your fruit, your fruit puddings, all those sorts of things that may not be on the list of foods that you generally eat if you have a stoma. And depending on the type of stoma that you have, there are obviously certain foods and drinks that you may or may not choose to partake in, uh, particularly for people with perhaps a urostomy. Uh, let's look at fluids. There's often not a lot of things like eggnog, a lot of alcohol that goes around during the celebration times, um, Christmas parties. So if you're a person with a urostomy, obviously drinking larger amounts or larger volumes of alcohol can dehydrate you uh, to a point where you might find that your urine output drops off a lot. So it's important uh, for a person with a urostomy or any stoma really to bear in mind that drinking high alcohol drinks can affect your hydration levels. Same with a colostomy or an ileostomy. The more alcohol that you drink, the more prone that you are to dehydration. So if you live with an ileostomy, dehydration, as you know, if you've listened to all the episodes, can lead to high output from your stoma, the loss of electrolytes, and in severe cases, acute renal failure. For people with a colostomy, um, because your colon is largely intact, if you are dehydrated and you do drink alcohol uh, in larger amounts at Christmas time, you do run the risk of developing either constipation through lack of water or diarrhea, the opposite effect if you've drank too much alcohol and it upsets your stomach. My general recommendation, which is not necessarily the health approved recommendation nor has it come from anywhere specific, but I would generally recommend that if you are going to be drinking alcohol with a stoma at Christmas time, make sure you supplement each glass of alcohol with the same equivalent glass of water to keep yourself hydrated. And obviously be sensible. You know what you can tolerate. If you do start to feel unwell, please, of course, stop and continue your hydration uh, and drink plenty during this time. Let's talk about food now that we've covered fluids. Uh, food at Christmas time is, for one, delicious, and I love Christmas food. But there's also a lot of questions that centre around the types of Christmas food that does come out um, during this holiday period and whether or not it is suitable or perhaps unsuitable for people that have a stoma. And I'm going to cover it quite broadly in terms of any type of stoma because I'm going to talk about the typical things that we find in Christmas foods. And the best example that I can give is either in your Christmas pudding or your Christmas cake because they're probably two of the main types of Christmas festive food that, that many people will partake in uh, during this time. Obviously, we know that fruitcake and Christmas cake and Christmas puddings um, are jam-packed full of dried fruits. So they've got things like dried figs, um, perhaps dates, prunes, 
dried apricots, and then other mixtures of things like perhaps some nuts like walnuts or almonds for decoration, um, and dried and candied peel, or so citrus peels uh, embedded in them as well, which makes for a very delicious pudding. But when it comes to someone who's trying to live with a stoma and perhaps follow a certain diet, that can raise questions about whether or not it's suitable to eat. And I want to talk about, in general, the fact that whether you've got an ileostomy, a colostomy, or a urostomy, fruit cakes and fruit puddings are excessively high in sugar. You wouldn't, for instance, eat, you know, 30-odd grapes in one sitting. Well, you might not. Some people do. Um, but in general, you wouldn't sit there and eat an entire um, bunch of grapes in one sitting. Whereas in a fruit cake or a fruit pudding, all of those grapes have been dried down to become sultanas or raisins or currants even. So when you eat those portions, you're actually doubling and sometimes even tripling the sugar content in the fruits that you eat in that portion. So sugar itself can obviously change your blood sugar levels. It can be quite hard to digest and it can make you dehydrated if you eat enough of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't eat very much pudding or fruitcake because it is very, very rich. So my portions for Christmas time are generally quite realistic and small. And I usually top them with copious amounts of either custard or ice cream or both or something like that to mush it all up and wash it down easily. And I still find it very rich. So in general, in terms of the dried fruits, there's two things that you have to consider. One is that sugar content. The second is the fiber content. Now, we talk a lot about living with a stoma and eating a low fiber diet. So if you are new to a stoma, um, perhaps with an ileostomy, for instance, which is probably the most high risk of all of the stomas, if you go eating a piece of fruitcake or a piece of fruit pudding, the fiber content in these dried fruits is actually more than a piece of fresh fruit itself because all of the, basically a dried fruit is where all the moisture has been drawn out of that piece of fruit, leaving just the fibrous outer skin and the fibrous sticky flesh on the inside. So if you're a person who's following a low fiber or a low residue diet, perhaps the level of fiber in the dried fruits that you're eating may not be something that you want to partake in. But having said that, as I just mentioned, the portion size of the pieces of pudding or fruitcake that you actually eat are in relative comparison to a fresh piece of fruit. Again, you're not going to eat the equivalent fresh fruit sizes of the dried fruit in these puddings and cakes. So it's okay to partake in having some fruit cake or perhaps some fruit pudding. But as I recommended before, if you've got plenty of condiments to actually chew it up properly and swallow it and digest it well, then you shouldn't have any trouble. So as long as you're having a small portion size of pudding or a small slice of fruitcake, the difference in fiber shouldn't be too hazardous to, to the function of your stoma. Having said that, there are certainly some uh, fruitcakes and fruit puddings out there that do have nuts added to them. Some recipes call for almonds or walnuts. Some even call for a mixture of those. And if they're roughly chopped and placed into those cakes and puddings, they probably pose a bit more of a risk than the dried fruits do. So when I say pose more of a risk, if you eat too many fibrous foods or too many boluses of sharp indigestible items, what can happen is you can develop symptoms of an intestinal blockage or it can be quite difficult for your intestine to push that through and digest it. 
Now, there's only one more thing about fruit puddings and cakes that I want to mention, and that is my friend, the dried apricot. I don't know about any of you guys, but if you've ever eaten a handful of dried apricots, it gives you gas. And I'm not talking just mild gas. Dried apricots are often as bad as prunes or prune juice. You will get gas, which means if you are a person who has an ileostomy or a colostomy, perhaps more with a colostomy, you may find that you might pay quite dearly if you eat a large amount of dried apricots in the food and the Christmas stuff that you eat. So do bear that in mind when you are partaking in having fruit puddings or fruit cakes that have dried apricots in them. So my overall rule for things like cakes and puddings are if you're going to have these portions, make sure you eat them with plenty of condiments, so custards, um, ice creams, fluids to wash it down with so make sure you have a drink with it so that you can wash it down my number two rule is to chew 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 it within an inch of its life and then you probably won't have any problems with it it should be okay and my third rule is try and keep your portion sizes nice and small start small if you can eat a small portion and pay attention to what comes out of your stoma and it is okay and it doesn't affect you then absolutely by all means proceed But if you do try a little bit and find that it does upset your stomach a little bit, perhaps that that type of food is not for you at this stage in your stoma life. Now, having said that, we've talked about desserts. I've sort of started a bit backwards and I'm going to work my way forwards. There are lots of savory meals that get cooked at Christmas time as well, which might have the same effect. So a lot of people often get into things like eating roasts, roast meats, roast turkey, roast ham, um, perhaps a roast chicken, depending on where you're from and, and what sort of food you eat at Christmas time. Now, it's very important to have plenty of protein, but do bear in mind that there are certain proteins and certain meats that are fattier than other proteins. And that can sometimes give you a bit of um, perhaps looser output, or it can give you a bit of diarrhea if you have either an ileostomy or a colostomy. And these are things like your fatty roast porks, you know, with lots of crackling and things like that. The higher the saturated fat content, the more difficult it is to digest. And you too sometimes find out that it increases your output slightly. Um, or if you can't digest it or if it's a bit rich for your stomach, then you can get a bit of diarrhea. So uh, definitely foods like turkey, which is very, very lean when you eat it. That's all very good and very easy to digest. Um, Same with chicken, perhaps uh, some people who have fish at Christmas time. For those of you that do eat fish, we don't, we we eat meat. Um, But any type of meat, basically, it needs to be cooked uh, quite soft. So what I'm saying essentially is the same principle as the desserts. Have it with plenty of condiments. So if you're going to eat your roast meats, have plenty of gravy or perhaps um, any sauces that go with it. So lots of cranberry or applesauce, depending on which meat you're eating. And try and stick to your soft easily digestible veggies, things like your roasted potatoes, your roasted squash or your roasted pumpkin. Foods that are a little bit starchy will help to thicken up your output if you happen to have an ileostomy. And um, they will also be easy to digest because there's nothing sharp or grainy in them and they will fill you up. So try and stick with your roasted veggies. Um, Be a bit careful about the ones that are very fibrous in the skin. So that's things like green beans, broccoli, Um, any dark green leafy vegetables have a very high fiber content in the skin. So if you do want steamed greens or something like that, do be mindful that you need to chew them very, very well, or you need to slow cook them into something so that those fibers break down. And again, it's all about moderation. Try a little bit. If you're not sure 
how much you can eat of these foods. Try a little bit. What's a little bit? I always say start with a quarter of a cup and pay attention to what happens. If you can tolerate a quarter of a cup of whatever it is that you're eating and it doesn't mess with your stoma output too much, then of course proceed. But if you do try these foods or if you have had these foods in the past and you know that you've had um, an upset stomach because of it, then perhaps choose a different meal to have at Christmas time. Now, there's just one more savory thing that I want to bring up at Christmas time, and that is talking about stuffing a lot of turkey and a lot of chicken and perhaps sometimes even pork roasts have a stuffing in them at Christmas time. And these can be made up of things like breadcrumbs, nuts of any description, berries of some sort. And there's usually quite a high salt content and then mixed with a liquid and then baked or roasted in those birds or whichever protein you're cooking. So do be mindful that stuffing can also contain quite a few ingredients in it that might upset your stomach if you have a stoma. And so feel free to experiment with that. Have a little bit, see what happens to your stoma output. If you do want more stuffing, certainly wash it down with plenty of gravy or plenty of sauces. And if you're simply not sure, or if you're worried at all about having stuffing, simply don't have stuffing. That's perfectly okay as well. All right, now that we've covered food and a little bit on the topic of food, I'm going to give you some good recipes. These recipes are something that can be made ahead of time on Christmas, but they're really good recipes for anybody with any type of stoma because they're nice and easy to digest and the ingredients in them are not too bad either. So if you are a person who's feeling like you can't eat the usual Christmas foods this year, maybe consider some of these recipes uh, and you might be able to make them and enjoy them at Christmas time and give them out to your family and friends so that you can all enjoy them together. So this first recipe is for good old gingerbread. Gingerbread's been around forever, but I love making gingerbread and I love recommending it to patients who have a stoma, for those of you who do actually like ginger, because the gingerbread is very easy to digest. It's nice and soft. It makes nice soft biscuits. There's no hard, sharp or grainy things in it. And you can make them well ahead of time and share them with everybody and everyone can enjoy them and you don't have to feel segregated by not being able to eat what everybody else eats. All right, your ingredients for gingerbread include two-thirds of a cup or 145 grams of unsalted butter, and you want to soften that to room temperature. You need three-quarters of a cup or 150 grams of packed light or dark brown sugar. I like to use dark brown sugar for mine, but it really doesn't matter what you use. I think the Australian recipes tend to be a little bit lighter than some of the overseas recipes just because of the ingredients that we use. 200 grams or two-thirds of a cup of molasses. Uh, in other countries, we just use uh, golden syrup. I think in Australia in the UK, you can use golden syrup in place of molasses. But if you really want to, you can certainly use molasses. It'll do the same thing, and it'll just give you a darker, richer biscuit. You need one large egg at room temperature, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, not vanilla essence, the extract, which is slightly uh, less intense, you need three and a half cups of all-purpose flour. So to us, that's plain flour, spooned and leveled, so a nice flat cup. One teaspoon of baking soda, half a teaspoon of salt, one tablespoon of ground ginger. Yes, one whole tablespoon. I know that's a lot. One tablespoon of ground cinnamon, half a teaspoon of ground allspice, and half a teaspoon of ground cloves. Now in a large bowl or mixer, you want to cream the brown sugar and the butter. If you've got an electric mixer, this is going to be much easier for you because you don't have to build your arm muscles by constantly whisking and stirring this mixture. But if you uh, set your speed to blend up the brown sugar and the butter, you want it so that it turns into a nice pale creamy mixture. It should be smooth. You shouldn't see any big chunks of sugar in it, but you want to turn it on and blend up the butter and the sugar until it's smooth and creamy. 
At this point, you want to add the molasses or the golden syrup and beat that again on medium speed until it's incorporated uh, and also turns creamy. Uh, you may want to scrape down the sides occasionally when you do this because it does turn into quite a big sticky mess. But next, you want to beat in the egg and the vanilla on high speed for two whole minutes. The butter may also separate at this time, so if you start to see some lumps when you incorporate the egg, that's okay. It will come together when you add the flour or the dry ingredients, so don't be too concerned with that. In a separate bowl, you need to whisk up the flour, the baking soda, the salt, ginger, cinnamon, allspice and cloves together until they are all combined. And then you want on your mixer to put on low speed, incorporate those dry ingredients into the wet ingredients nice and slowly, bit by bit, until it combines. So it's going to turn into quite a dry mix because it's a cookie dough. So you really just want it to come together. You don't want it to be constantly blending. Um, you just want it to come together to form a nice um, solid dough. So initially, the cookie dough, when you mix it all together, is going to actually be quite thick um, and quite sticky at this point as well. This is where you need to wrap uh, your dough in some cling film. and You need to put it in your fridge, uh, pat it down. I always find if you squish it down into a nice flat disc, it will chill a lot quicker than if you keep it into a ball. It takes longer for that internal temperature to drop if you keep it in a ball. So flatten it out in the cling wrap so that it's a nice flat, almost like a pizza base kind of shape and pop it in your fridge and you need to chill that for anywhere from 30 minutes to a couple of hours. Um, and for some people, you can make this up to three days ahead. So you can chill it for up to three days if need to. But the chilling part is necessary for the cookie dough um, for it to come together and for it to bake properly. So, so you mustn't skip this step in chilling your dough. When your dough has chilled thoroughly, you can take out portions of the dough, spread it out onto a greaseproof piece of paper, cut it into whatever shapes you like, whether it be gingerbread man shape or star shape or any type of shape you wish. You want to cut it into your shapes, leave it on the parchment paper and place it into a 180 degree uh, Celsius or 350 degree Fahrenheit oven. And you want to bake that for approximately 10 minutes. It's not very long at all. The, depending on how uh, thin you roll it out, you will find that your gingerbread will cook within 10 minutes. If you leave it any longer than that, the edges start to brown and get quite crusty and biscuity. Uh, we don't want it to be that really hard, crunchy biscuity. We want it to be nice and even and generally quite soft and almost chewy throughout the whole biscuit. So don't cook longer than 10 minutes unless you know your oven very well and you think you can push it an extra minute or two, then go ahead. But generally, once your gingerbread has uh, baked, you want to take it, turn it onto a cooling rack, and then you can decorate them however you like. For some people, that's piping some icing faces onto them or with some royal icing or decorating them with sweets and lollies. Whatever you want to do, you can decorate them however you wish. But gingerbread is a really good festive treat that is absolutely A-OK -okay for any kind of stoma. And I think that you should all enjoy some gingerbread at this time of the year. Now, if you want something more substantial to make that can go around the whole family as a bit of a showpiece, trifles are traditional but also really, really good for people with a stoma because the ingredients that are in a classic, more traditional trifle are all very easy to digest, especially for people with a new stoma. Now, the ingredients in the recipe for this traditional trifle that I'm going to tell you about has been tweaked ever so slightly just to suit my personal tastes but you can put adaptations in that will suit your personal taste as well. It's all up to you. And the good thing about trifle is that you can experiment with it as well. So for this recipe, you're going to need one packet of red jelly. You can choose any flavor you like, be it strawberry, raspberry, 
port wine jelly, any type you like, as long as it's a red kind because that's nice and festive. Now, the recipe normally calls for one medium Swiss roll, you know, with the jam inside, but I actually don't like the jam ones. So I like to get myself a packet of Madeira cake, which is just sort of a solid loaf cake, and I find that that's much tastier than the Swiss rolls. But you can choose whichever one you like. You need to get one of those. You also need about 65 mils or a quarter of a cup of either brandy, sherry, or fruit juice if you want the alcohol-free version for those of you with some stomas who don't want to partake in alcohol. So you get yourself about a quarter of a cup of that. You need 500 to 750 mils of vanilla custard. Do get the full fat custard. It's Christmas time. The fat-free stuff is full of fillers and you might as well get something good out of it. So try and get yourself some proper vanilla custard. It doesn't have to be the super thick kind. The ones that come in the cartons are all perfectly fine as well. You're going to need a tin of peaches sliced in juice. I prefer peaches in, in juice. You can get them in syrup but I find that that increases the sugar content. So get yourself um, one of the large, I think they come in about a 500 gram tin of peach slices and you want to drain those. You also want a 375 ml tub of whipped sweetened cream. You can whip it yourself if you want to, just get thickened cream and whip it for a little bit. You're also going to need one little cup of the fruit cocktail. Uh, you know the little kids packs where you get the chopped up stewed fruits in the fruit cups? You want to get yourself perhaps one, maybe two of those because they're going to be placed on top um, as a decoration, I suppose, to go on there. You can use two fruits, you can use a single fruit, so perhaps pears or peaches, whatever fruit you prefer in your fruit cup. Or you can get the cocktail mix, which has got those weird lot of uh, cherries in them that don't really taste like cherries and they look kind of weird and pale and pink but you can get those combination fruits it's whatever you want and then as a final condiment which is optional for you if you have a stoma is a very small I think it's about a hundred gram tin of passion fruit pulp if you are concerned about passion fruit seeds and you still want the sauce or the syrup you can either strain your passion fruit pulp to get the seeds out before you drizzle it over the top. Otherwise, just use it as you wish to or omit it altogether if you'd prefer not to have passion fruit. Okay, first up, you're going to prepare your jelly as per the packet instructions. Once you've dissolved it all, you can place it in the fridge. Now, you want it to set slightly but not firm because you want to add it to your trifle bowl. So start to set the jelly whilst you're arranging your other ingredients so that your jelly comes down to a temperature that's pourable but not set. Whilst you're doing this, you want to cut up your Swiss roll slices or your Madeira cake slices, as I use, and you want to arrange them in the bottom of a trifle bowl, and you want to drizzle them with the brandy or the fruit juice or whatever uh, liquid you prefer to put on it. You then want to cover all of that sponge cake with a thick layer of custard. And once you've got your custard smoothed out over the top, you want to actually then pour over very gently, pour over your cooled jelly mixture. Now you might want to let that jelly set a little bit. So if you want to at this point, you can put that first layer of ingredients into the fridge to set. Once you've done that, you want to uh, uh, gently place some of those peach slices on top of that jelly uh, in a shape that you like. You can put as many or as little slices of peach as you wish. And then you want to cover again with another thin layer of custard. And if you've got any jelly left over, or if you're like me and you like to add double the layer of jelly, you can then apply a new layer over the top of that custard again. Now, once you've done that second layer, you want to pop your trifle back in the fridge to set, and that can sometimes take up to four hours for everything to set completely. So this is a dish that you may want to make ahead of time. But when it's eventually set, you can pull it out, and then on the very top as part of decoration, you can either pipe or spoon the whipped cream on top of the trifle, and then you want to take your little fruit cup 
strained liquid out of it and then you want to tip that all and decorate the top on top of that cream so it looks like a nice big fruity mountain on top of that beautiful white pillow of cream. Now at this point you can also drizzle your passion fruit over the top of that fruit cocktail but if you want to leave the passion fruit part out you can certainly do so. The trifle is just as beautiful with or without the passion fruit pulp added to it. So there you go there's your traditional sort of fruit cocktail trifle which is very easy for people to eat with a stoma and if you want to give that a try make it ahead of time and enjoy that for Christmas. Well, there you go, guys. There's two of my Christmas recipes that I'm happy to share with you. For any of you who is living with a stoma and you're worried about what you may or may not be able to eat or what you should and shouldn't eat at Christmas time, they're just two of the little dessert recommendations that you might want to have a go at if you are getting used to living with a stoma at Christmas time. I could go on more and more about recipes, but this episode is drawing out a little bit, and I'm sure that every single one of you wants to go away and enjoy your celebrations and your holiday time with your families. So this episode's about to come to an end. I just want to wrap up by saying I hope you guys have enjoyed the information in this episode. I hope for any of you who are struggling at Christmas time, getting used to your stoma, or for those of you who have questions or concerns, absolutely get in touch with your stomal therapy nurse. We can put you in touch with the appropriate connections if need be, or we're there to give you advice and support over the phone if we're available to take your calls. And I want to wish you guys all a very safe and happy Christmas this year. Stay around your loved ones. Give lots of love and support. And try not to think of your stoma as a massive big part of your life. It should just be something that's a part of you and and you should embrace it. And people will love you, stoma or no stoma, people will love you no matter where your bottom is relocated. I also want to thank each and every one of you for your continued support over this year for the Oztomy Nurse Project. We've managed to put out a perhaps a, a massive 35 episodes since February this year. And earlier on, a couple of weeks ago, we actually reached over 2,000 downloads of the Oztomy Nurse Project episodes. So I thank you guys so very much for tuning in and listening. At the start of this year, I wasn't even sure if this was the type of podcast that anybody would want to listen to, but the feedback has been amazing. And I'm truly humbled to know that the things that I sit here talking about are things that you guys want to listen to. So I thank you very much for your continued support. We're going to be back next year, coming early in 2020, much like this year. We'll probably start around February, so keep an ear out for new episodes in 2020 of the Oztomy Nurse Project. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook if you've got questions or if you want to leave a comment at all about the Oztomy Nurse Project, you can find us on Facebook. Or you can tune into the Oztomy Nurse Project wherever you listen to your podcasts. So we're currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, YouTube, if you want to find us on YouTube. Um, And feel free to leave us a comment or rate the episodes as you come across them because it all helps to go towards me tailoring the content for the things that you guys want to listen to. In 2020, we're going to be coming to you with more episodes, more interviews. We're going to be talking about uh, people having babies with stomas. We're going to be interviewing psychologists and social workers. We're going to have much more recipes. We're going to be talking about all things to do with living with your insides on the outside. So once again, guys, you've been listening to the Ostomy Nurse Project. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. And you'll come and find us again in 2020. Coming to you from down under, just like where your very festive Christmassy little stoma is. Take care, guys. Bye.